Now I'm going to record this episode with the full understanding and acceptance that some people may disagree with what I'm about to say. And they tend to when it comes to discussions about free will. This video is not meant to convince anybody of the fact that we do not have free will or that if we do, it is an extremely limited form of free will and it is something that actually has to be exercised. It's not freely given. You actually have to work at it. However, every time I have a discussion like this, there's always a little bit of a pushback because people want to believe that they are in control of their lives and that's okay. I'm not meant to convince you, and this is certainly not my place to do so, to convince you that there isn't much that we do control. But if you're willing to at least entertain my story or entertain my perspective, just for the sake of, let's say, entertainment, please continue to watch. I heard a quote a long time ago, it was by Kanye West, and he had said, what's the point of thinking? It was a very interesting thought. It's not the kind of thing that you often hear. And I think when he had said it, the audience kind of mocked him, kind of dismissed him, and a few people even laughed. I understand why. He kind of says a lot of very strange things. But another quote, which is one of my favorites, is by Osho, who says something to the effect that a fool looks at a finger when it's pointing to the sky. So I'll say that again. A fool looks at a finger that's pointing to the sky. And what that means to me is it doesn't really matter who is saying something. If what is being said is pivotal, is important, is thought provoking and worth being listened to, then I will take the message and it doesn't really matter too much about the source. Information is information, data is data, and anything that can help me understand the nature of reality, I'm willing to take in, regardless of where that information may be coming from. So when he had said this quote, or when I heard Kanye say this quote, it stuck with me. It's been years since I heard this. And I wondered what he meant. I often wondered if it was just something that he said, if he was really thinking deeply about what he was saying, or if it was just one of those things where his mind kind of captured it from the ether of our thoughts or where our thoughts come from. And then he just relayed the message for whomever it is that was listening. You see, there's a thing that I noticed with artists that they think that when they create, it's really them. And sometimes a bit of a, it's called, I think, imposter syndrome tends to creep in because on some level they recognize that there is a discrepancy between what they say they are doing and what they're actually doing. Now, what most artists say that they're doing is creating, but the more you create, the more you realize that you're not actually creating. You are allowing for creation to come through. You are a vessel. So athletes do a good job of this, right? When you see them on the field, when they play basketball, whatever, they don't really think. They allow for the sports to sort of play through them, if that makes sense, right? The moment they start trying to score a goal, the moment they start, that's when they start trying to be an athlete instead of being an athlete, right? Trying versus being, right? Or to quote the great Yoda, do or do not, there is no, tr there is no try, right? So you don't try to be an artist, you are an artist and you become an artist. And the way you become an artist is that you allow things to be through you. You allow for things to become through you. So we're sitting here one of my paintings in the background and didn't realize my bottle was sitting in the frame, but I didn't paint that. I allowed for the painting to flow through and become in this reality, to exist in this reality. There was a time when I used to have, when I used to think that I had to be the one to sit and to create and to paint. And so I would also say that that is why there is pain in painting because painting became a painful process because I was trying to be an artist and I realized I don't have to do anything. I just have to let it be. I notice the same thing when I paint. I'm sorry, when I write. When I write, I when I try to write, I don't really write as well. But when I sit 
and I just start, you know, pen to paper, I start typing, the information flows through. I almost kind of hear or see the story and then I just allow the story to flow through to me. Everything, in my opinion, like I said, just my opinion, feels alive to me from art wanting to express itself to, you know, a painting, to a writing, a work of art, whatever. Um, they all kind of feel like living entities and not living in the way that we have been conditioned to consider something that's living as in like a biological organism. Like that's the only form of life that can exist in this reality. But they do want to be birthed and then they do take on a life of their own. Writers say this a lot, right? They say that, you know, when they intend to write a story, the story that they intend to write doesn't end up being the story that they end up writing. I experienced this early in the process of like, okay, I have an outline and this is what I want to write. And then at the end, it's like the characters kind of wanted to do their own thing. Well, they're living in a way. These stories are alive. These beings on some level are alive. Whether or not we want to still operate from the mindset that we are the most superior and absolute definition of what it means to be a living, living and intelligent being, well, that's just our arrogance, isn't it? That doesn't make it necessarily true. So when you sit to record music, and if you're a musician, I'm sure this resonates with you. Mathematicians have noted this as well, that they wake up with solutions to problems that they once couldn't solve with their thinking mind, right? Because they were trying to do something instead of being. And so after all of this, you're kind of left to think, well, all of this action, all of this thoughts, all of this like force that I was trying to sort of push out into the world of, I'm going to be this, I'm going to do this, right? I, you start to realize the futility of it and you start to sort of acknowledge that maybe on some level, I'm not in control here. Maybe on some level, I'm just a small piece in a great sort of wheel and a great sort of cog in a great sort of domino, you know, puzzle that has been laid out. So when you hear the expression, what's the point of thinking? What does it make you think? How does it make you feel? Please feel free to comment in the comment section below and tell me how that makes you feel. But for me, I have found that over time it has become quite liberating, particularly in conversations and in creativity as well. It has also been very helpful with my struggles with my internal monologue. You know, a situation will occur that is out of my control. And then I start to pick apart the situation and I start to pick apart the individual. Over time, I've learned that most people are not in control of themselves. They're not in control of what happens. They're not in control of situations. They're not in control of their reactions to it. Most people are just moving through life, reacting to everything that happens or things are just happening to them and then they're forced to react to everything that's happening. So if that's the case, then one, they aren't controlling what they do. So me getting upset about how they're reacting in a particular situation when they're barely in control of themselves, and I know they're barely in control of themselves because I know how hard it has been for me to control myself and how hard has it been for you to control yourself? Think about the compulsions that we suffer from. Keep, think about the addictions that many of us grapple with. If we were 100% in control of ourselves, if we truly had 100% free will, we would be completely different individuals than what we actually are. Now, on a day-to-day -day basis, I am actively, consciously exercising my will, strengthening my will, but it wasn't something that was freely given. I was not born with this. It's something that when I'm put in situations where I would normally behave in a particular way, I intentionally or try to be very intentional about choosing my responses. I've talked about this several times on the podcast in my videos, right? You choose your responses. And I'm not always successful at this. And this is something that I have dedicated a considerable amount of mental energy and space towards. Now, most people aren't 
doing that. Most people aren't trying to master their mind. I said this to a friend of mine who actually inspired this episode. Shout out to Eli. Sup, Eli? Um, you know, a lot of us creatives have incredible, incredibly powerful minds. And if you can master this mind, it's a, it's a, it's a tool and it is a weapon. But right now we live in a society that sort of diverts its energy and it diffuses it over here. So you're, you, you'll find yourself in a situation, for example, right? Where things are out of your control. A person behaved in a particular way. You expected something to be a particular way and it didn't work out the way you wanted to. And so you start like rolling all of these scenarios in your head. Well, what did this person do? You want to blame a person and I should have done this. Maybe next time I'll do this. When should the, well, in this particular situation, no matter how much like planning you had put into it, you couldn't prevent what happened, which is why you're panicking right now or you're reacting in an emotional way because you had an idea of how you wanted things to happen. And as we consistently have noted, if you're paying attention anyway, the more you seem to kind of plan for things, the more the universe is like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't give a fuck about your plans, right? Like think about your life and how you wanted your life to be. And then think about the life that you have right now is it the life that you would have willed for yourself if it's not then you can't truly say that you have free will i'm going to read you another one of my favorite quotes it says but mouse you are not alone in proving foresight may be vain the best laid schemes of mice and men often go awry and leaves us with nothing but grief and pain for promised joy i say that again but mouse you are not alone in proving foresight may be vain the best laid schemes of mice and men often go awry and leave us nothing but grief and pain for promised joy. Now, I often quote like the shorthand version of that poem. It's a poem by Robert Burns. It was written, I think, in 1785 or something to that effect. And it was co-opted by the author John Steinberg, Steinbeck rather, in his book, of mice and men. Now, what I like about that quote is that <laughs> whether it's men, or at least what it means to me is that whether it's men or mice, right? Whatever it is that you plan, right? It doesn't always go according to plan. So you can lay things out and you can intend that this is how things are going to go. But it doesn't always go the way you intend to go. It doesn't often go the way you intend things to go. A lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of panic, a lot of anger comes from having the expectation, the hope, the desire, I'll say it again, expectation, hope, desire for things to go a particular way. And then when they don't go the way you want it to go, because for whatever reason, we live in a society that programs us to think that just because we want things to go in a particular way, we are entitled to things going that way that we make no contingency plans in case those things don't go the way we go, we want them to go. Or on the extreme end, you make like the worst case scenario contingency plan in your head, which is essentially anxiety. Cause then you think, okay, what if it doesn't go the way I want it to go? And then it's like the extreme where you panic and all that stuff. And then that's an actual disorder. And I'm not suggesting that we move in that way. I'm not suggesting that you decide that you want to do something and then brace yourself because it's not going to happen. I'm saying that your plans might eventually lead to the outcome that you would like for it or that you would want for it, but understand that it's not going to follow the plan that you laid for it, right? Engineers, architects will tell you the same thing. An architect will start off with a plan, with a design, and they work with an engineer and they say, this is what we want the house to look like, right? And then they hope that everything goes according to plan. But oftentimes, 10 times out of 10, a house is not going to start off in the, in the, you know, the initiated design, the first design, and then end up exactly how it was first designed. That's not how this reality works. Sometimes, oftentimes, the designer will have to change and edit the design and make different things, make different changes for maybe what the land wants, wants or will accept, right? And what the, um, the owner wants and will accept, right? So you have to take 
into consideration that changes will need to be made to your plan. And that plan that you think is a plan that you're going to get there. I have a plan and by this age, I'm going to be this, that, and the other. You need to move in the same way an architect would move with the understanding that you should absolutely be flexible and willing to adapt to any changes. That your plan is not an actual plan. Your plan is more or less an outline of a rough draft of a story that you would like to tell. But like a painting, whether you have a desire for it to have a particular outcome, the painting is gonna wanna paint itself. Your life is gonna wanna tell a story that might differ from the story that you have in your head. This is something that I've absolutely had to learn, not just with painting and creating, but also in my life. If you ask me, what are the things that I wanted to do 10 years ago? And where did I see myself 10 years you know, ago today? My life does not look like that, right? But I've, I've learned to go with the flow. And it's interesting because in when in the in the art of creating in the zone of creating it's called flow, right? And in flow is when you're just sort of locked in. Time kind of stops and you're just creating. You have become the vessel. You have become the conduit for which art kind of comes through, right? There are you're just your mind is off and you're just working. This happens a lot with artists, this happens with athletes, this happens with anybody that's doing any sort of work where they're synced in and they're it's not their brain is turned off, but they've like their concentration is fixed on things and they're trying to get it to go. Now, can you turn your entire life into a state of flow where you're literally going with flow, not going with the flow? which when you say things like that, your mind just sort of like turns off and you don't really think about what is being said, but going with flow in the sense of your entire life becomes this like flow of chi where your entire life is a creative process and you as the artist are the conduit in which life can be allowed to flow. What's the point of thinking? How does that help? If life itself is creating itself and you are the vessel in which life comes through and life is going to continuously throw out suggestions and go okay let's do this right it's like when i'm painting i was not expecting this painting to look the way it, it ended up looking not at all i had a different model in mind but i've long learned that it doesn't necessarily matter what i want right i can put the outline and say, this is kind of what I would like it to be. But you become a better artist if you allow the art to create itself. Because by definition, that is what makes a true artist an artist. It's not somebody who's out there trying to create. As I said, it's a true artist is just a type of vessel that allows for truth in the form of art to come through. Now, can you make your entire life like that? Can you understand that sometimes when things happen, it's not always about you? Can you understand that not <laughs> you could have an idea of what you would like to happen, but you can't be married to that expectation because you're not the one who's creating. You're co-creating with whatever intelligence runs our reality. It's executing its own sort of plot but to be upset that your life didn't go the way you want it to go, or you're not where you want to be, or more importantly, some people say this, they're not where they're supposed to be, supposed to, who determined the supposition? Is that you based on the plan that you laid out when you're not really controlling what happens and when? Because if that's the case, then yeah, you're asking for suffering. I don't believe in humility. I don't believe in the sense of like, just like putting your head down and saying like, I'm humble and I'm low and I cannot praise myself. I'll be the first to praise myself. But I do believe in respecting that we are not really individuals. We are a collective. And sometimes things don't go the way you expect it to go or you want them to go, not because of whatever desires that you may have, but because at any given moment in time, you are playing a role in a greater picture, in a grander scheme, that you in this microcosm of like individuals are unable to see the bigger picture 
from the standpoint that you are. So serve that purpose. I have learned, I am learning, and the word here is serve. I am learning to serve my purpose. And my purpose is something that has been predetermined because once again, if all of time is happening right now, right? So you can look up the 3D, um, I think no, it's a 4D block universe, right? So past, present, future exists simultaneously. The flow of time is an illusion, Albert Einstein, all of time is happening right now. So it's all laid out. So if that's the case and everything is sort of predetermined, then my purpose is my purpose. Whether or not I have this supposition in my head, that's besides the point. It doesn't matter. And I would argue even if you're going through a phase where you're like, ah, but I feel like this is how it's supposed to be. I'm even tempted to wonder if you expecting things to be a particular way isn't just another layer, another level of the program. I'll say that again, like the stress that you may be going through of the things didn't go out the way I wanted it to go could just be another narrative that's programmed in so that you feel like you're in control. And then you catch yourself doing things because you're desperately trying to control the narrative, but that's part of your narrative. And then that's what spins your story. I have decided that the best rebellion against that is to go, no, I find myself in situations where I expect things to go a particular way and then they don't go the way I want them to go. And I'm really starting to train myself to go, okay. And then that's not what was supposed to happen. We're looking for a home. There was a home that came on the market. The, the house, we're not quite ready to, to purchase it. And so that's fine. The house now went under escrow. The, what, was there a time when I would have been like, oh no, yes. But what I'm learning is that if that was part of my story, then it would have happened that I would have gotten that property. It sounds so simple. And yet a lot of people don't want to accept it, but everything happens because everything has happened. Everything happens as it has happened. You are literally just the observer. You are watching the story. You're watching the, if you go back to like 2020, the first three, four episodes of that season, 2020, of your one black friend. I don't remember what season it was. It was very trippy because I had a lot of experiences with TV. <laughs> and I was talking about how the characters on TV I was watching, I was binge watching The Twilight Zone. And I was saying how, like I, I kept watching episodes of like characters trying to change their fate in the TV show. And it was very meta. And even me talking about this, if we are in a simulation is also like super meta. It's like meta, <laughs> it's like meta upon meta, um, self-referential um, is what meta means for those who don't know. But I had said at the time, like, you know, when you catch yourself watching, when you're watching a show and you catch yourself having an emotional reaction to the character, that's doing something, right? There is a part of you that has gotten lost in the narrative because the logical part of your brain goes, me expecting this to go a different way and then having an emotional reaction is completely ir illogical because this was filmed like God knows how long ago. It's been filmed, it's been recorded, it has been edited, it has been put out. And now it's probably, it's been, it's been aired. They're not gonna change the story at least not in this moment in space time, I've talked about the fact that there's probably gonna come a time within five to 10 years, quote me, where, where, sorry, it was a, there was a side joke to like nobody, I don't know why I did that, but <laughs> I looked to the side because I was referencing a video that I'm gonna post where I talked about my superpower is um, the ability to foresee the future, um, like an Oracle program, except nobody listens. <laughs> Um, I've been getting a lot of emails saying like, Joe, like you've been talking about this stuff for like years and now everybody's talking about it. And you mentioned this, that, and the other. And I'm like, yeah. Um, but that's just a function. It's not unique to me, right? It's not, yeah, it's not unique to me. I just, like an artist, the information came through and I happened to share the information. What you do with that information is on you, but that is the function that I serve. Um, and that is a purpose that I serve. It's not a purpose that I understand. 
but it's, it's something that I'm starting to appreciate. But to go back to watching a TV show, when you watch the, a character in a TV show and you get emotionally caught up because there's a part of you that expects things to go a different way, it's, illo- it's illogical, it's irrational because you know logically that this isn't real, but you're still having an emotional reaction to it. And I feel like that part of your brain that just accepts things that it sees, even, the, even though there's a knowledge that this isn't real, is the same thing that impacts us in our day-to-day existence. We get caught up in people and their actions. And why did they do this? Or why did this happen like this? Or why did I say that? Because that was what you were supposed to say. You know, a lot of the times, pay attention. Before you say something, there's kind of a voice that's like saying things before you say things, right? At least that's been my experience. And a lot of people have the experience of having that internal monologue. And a lot of people catch themselves listening to it. And not many people really pause and ask themselves, what the fuck is this, right? I've talked about the mind virus. I've talked about Watiko. I've mentioned Colin Wilson and a couple of other books. I think Paul, I don't remember his last name, but he was the author of the book Watiko. There is an understanding that something's not quite right in the in a field of psychology. It's being written about, they call it invasive thoughts and things like that. So either we're all mad or something else is going on. That's why I favor the simulation hypothesis because to me, they feel like prompts. As AI is beginning to emerge, more and more people are starting to understand terminology like prompts, right? So if you're sitting <laughs> and all of a sudden you're minding your own business and then something's saying, do this, and then you do it, you need to pause and ask yourself, like, was that a freely chosen action or was I being prompted? And if you're being prompted, are you mad? Are we all mad or is there something else going on? Now, if you haven't had a chance, I keep referencing this and I think I will also put it out in book form as well. This summer, we're going to have a lot of like goodies as far as readable, listenable information, um, including the Dark Oracle's Guide to the Multiverse. Um, that's going to be put in narrative form and I'm going to update it with more information so it's different from the podcast. But while you have a chance, go and check out the podcast. Um, it's about 20 minutes per episode. It's free flow. No, it's not free flow. Actually, uh, so the Dark Oracle's Guide to the Multiverse I wrote a lot of the stuff out and then you could tell I read it. And then there's music playing in the background. You can probably listen to it while you sleep and then it will get absorbed in your subconscious. There you go. Or you can listen to it consciously as well. However, you getting upset that something didn't go the way you want it to go or a person is behaving in a way that you don't want them to behave makes as much sense as you getting upset that a character in your TV show did not behave the way you want them to behave. It's already written. In several episodes, I've talked about how the only thing, like everybody is immortal. The only thing that's stopping you from visiting somebody that's passed away is a time machine. If for some reason you can procure a time machine and giving enough time, right? There's a video on Netflix and I think it's on YouTube as well. It's called The Power of Eternity. They said, given enough time, anything is possible. Anything is probable. Everything is probable. So that means that there has to exist in enough time. There has to exist. Not that will exist. There has to exist now because 4D block universe, all of time is happening right now. We're just experiencing the flow of it. The way when you hit play on a DVD, you're watching the movie, but it's already pre-scripted and pre-recorded and you're playing it out. So then we're all immortal. That means at any moment in space-time, from your birth to your death, your avatar exists. And if you, the only thing that's stopping you from interacting with your avatar is machinery like a time travel device. So that means nobody ever dies. They're just confined. And by body, I literally mean no body. Consciousness definitely cannot experience death, but physical form doesn't really die. And because of the the many world interpretation, or if you want to talk about like multiverses, whatever. I don't think, by the way, that parallel universes or whole universes, I'm willing to accept that parallel universes are actually just parallel realms. And I write about that a bit in the God Cannibal short story that I'm coming out with. It's coming, guys. I apologize. A lot of pushback happening from the universe. But as I said to my cousin this morning, I said, if you are the kind of person who you just get what you want all the time without any pushback, then the universe or the intelligence that controls this universe doesn't like you. 
because think about the people who have always gotten what they wanted and what kind of personalities that they have versus people who've worked to get what they want and have gone through adversity and struggle, what sort of character that they, they have, right? So somebody clearly wants to develop you into a good, enjoyable character if they're writing you in this way and having you go through all of this stuff. So a bit of pushback occurring, but the story is coming. How it's gonna look, what's gonna happen later on, the story's already written. I'm just here for the ride, right? So my intention, <laughs> my best laid plans of mice and women was that it was just gonna be, I was gonna put it on Gumroad, put it out and like just in a couple of, I'd write it out and put it out in a couple of days and then it, but it's coming. So it is coming. Definitely gonna be out by the end of May. That is my objective. <laughs> Let's see what the universe has in store. Hopefully it's aligned with me. And by the universe, I mean the intelligence behind this universe has in store. But you have to move in that way. Otherwise, you're going to upset yourself. And you're going to find yourself really upset that you that whatever intention and desire that you have with, you know, with things, it's okay to be like, this is what I would like to see happen. But also understand that the, the universe has a say as well. The intelligence behind this universe has a say as well. It is telling its own story. And so you need to be able to be flexible and to move with that too. You're just a cog in the wheel and you're a big, beautiful, brilliant, immortal cog, but you're still just a big, beautiful, brilliant, <laughs> immortal cog in a very beautiful wheel. And that's okay. So like I said, nobody really dies. All you need is a time machine. And if you take into consideration the many worlds interpretation or any other like, you know, theoretical physics or physics theories in quantum physics that considers parallel realms, I'm not prepared to say that they're parallel universes, but parallel realms, then let's say you lost somebody. And let's say that they only in one timeline lived from you know the age of like from birth to like the age of five. If you had a time machine, you can go back and you can save them from whatever it is that you know cost them their life. And from that point on, a new branch will spin off and then they might be able to live out their lives. And the argument has been made, especially using the quantum immortality theory, that they did keep going on, right? They just, in your timeline, that person that you lost, only died their body only died in that timeline right but their consciousness can experience death so their consciousness split into a universe and then their their life continued to go now a time machine may only be able to travel across a timeline in one universe or i should say in one reality i'm being very mindful of this and read the god cannibal story so you understand why i'm being very mindful of this um However, will you need a, a realm jumping machinery and on top of a time machine? We're getting really wild here. Um, maybe, maybe not, right? Because if you can take your consciousness, I'm sorry, if you can take your time travel machine and take it back to a moment in space time when you save that person from dying and then that line, that timeline, you know, spins off and branches off to another one, if your machine is able to kind of go with you down this line, then you should be able to travel along that line as well. Who knows though, right? But a lot of concepts that seem very difficult to understand in our reality with our present understanding of physics is not necessarily impossible. It's just hard for us to grasp right now. But just because something is hard for a human mind to understand at this present moment, Please believe that a thousand years ago, a computer and a camera would have been impossible to grasp. That does not mean it's impossible to occur. I, I do firmly believe that there's going to come a, a moment in space time by there's going to, I mean, there is a moment in space time where the things that I've just discussed over the last five minutes are actually possible. Not only to be able to travel through time, but also through space and parallel universes. So then it becomes not just a time travel machine, but also a dimensional jumping or realm jumping machine, kind of like a TARDIS, time and relative dimension 
in space, relative dimension. So it's a time travel, but also travels along relative dimensions, but like souped up. This is fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's why you guys are here, come on. Um, so you gotta learn to go with things. I wanna read to you another one of my favorite stories, right? Um, I came across it in the book, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I believe it was either The Power of Now or A New Earth, both by Eckhart Tolle, but I'm gonna read that to you. So the story is called, Is That So? It says, the Zen master lived in a town in Japan and was held in high regard by many people for his teachings. Then one day a girl in the village became pregnant. Her parents were not very happy and wanted to know who the father was. The daughter indicated that Haikun, the Zen master, was the father. The parents went to see the Zen master to let him know. And he replied, is that so? Subsequently, he lost his reputation as it spread throughout the town. This did not trouble him. When the child was born, the parents brought the child to Haikun and told him to look after him. The Zen master took loving care of the child and a year later, the mother of the child could not take it any longer. And she told the truth to her parents. The parents went to Haikun and confessed that he was not the father. Is that so? Is how he responded and handed the baby over to them. And what I like about that story is that it is a complete acceptance of the narrative, right? It is attributed to him being Zen, but sometimes I like to simplify what, you know, we think of as these sort of esoteric speeches and or lessons and or teachings and see if I can't apply it to our day-to-day -day existence particularly with modern techno-philosophy and techno-philosophical techno terms and ideas, particularly relating to the simulation hypothesis. If everything is pre-programmed into our reality and then that was what was happening, then the Zen master's response of, is that so, shows complete understanding of the nature of reality. It's not that he's Zen and he's just going with it. That's my interpretation anyway. This is my interpretation anyway. It's not that he's just Zen and he's just like, yeah, bro, I don't have any desires. I'm just going to go with it. To me, it shows a deeper understanding of the nature of reality and acceptance of what is in the sense of the fact that like, I'm not in control. This is what's happening right now. Because at the end of the day, let's go back to the story. If he had said, what was he going to say? If he would have insisted that it wasn't him, that would have just compounded the situation. So the story isn't saying that you shouldn't defend yourself when you're accused. But what I would like to think is that at that time, right, they didn't have like paternity, you know, paternity tests or things like that. And he probably thought about the impact. If he had another response or reaction, it would have on this young girl. So what he saw was, okay, I have to raise this child this is probably the best possible outcome that leads to the least amount of pain for all involved, right? If he denied that he was a father, even though he wasn't the father, then the girl would have been shamed. But he took in the child, the child would have been safe, he could have taken care of the child. And then he also looked at it as, okay, well, I guess this is what I have to be doing now, so that's what I'll be doing. And then when they came back, because given enough time, things change. Given enough time, the truth comes out. They came back and they were like, we want the baby back, it's not your child. And his response is like, okay. See, a lot of us in that situation would complain. We would get upset, we would condemn, like this is not my child. And then a year later, wait, really? After I put in all this energy and all this effort, and then we'd fight and we'd exert all this energy, like he knows it's not his child. So when they came back to take the child, it was like, okay, well, that's it, you know? It's hard, it's a hard concept really, because it requires us to move in a way that we haven't been conditioned to move. 
It's not a natural, quote unquote natural, at least it's not natural for us. Maybe there's a realm of reality where human beings do move in this way, where they do acknowledge and they are educated on the nature and the true nature of this reality and the fact that there's not much that they can control. So when things happen, grace is afforded. I have a really terrible habit of criticizing because it's just the nature of this persona. Being a Virgo doesn't help. But I've found or I'm finding that that is a waste of energy because whomever it is and I'm complaining about, whomever it is that I am blaming is blameless because if nobody has free will, then nobody has free will. So me criticizing or condemning a person for behaving in a way that they couldn't control is just as wrong as me blaming them for something that they can control. We're all in this. There's not a lot that we can control. So why is this happening? Because that was what was supposed to happen. Why did that person do that? Because that was what was supposed to happen. I wanted this to happen. Okay, it's not happening. What am I gonna do about it? I'm gonna go with flow. I'm gonna make my life flow. Because think about it, the amount of energy that you expend trying to like force things and you, you start to feel it. The more you slow down your reaction, the more you start to realize like, wait, this is costing me energy. It's costing me power. It's concentrate. It's, it's costing me the ability to concentrate my force on will and the things that I should be spending my energy on creating, prepare my mind building something and I'm spending it inside instead discussing things that aren't really they're waste of time if nobody's in control of themselves and nobody's really in control of reality and we're all just cogs just playing our roles in a predetermined play then the reason why that person cut you off is because you were supposed to get cut off just eat it and keep it moving right the reason why that person is late is because they were supposed to be late no amount of you being annoyed by it and I know this shit is hard Jesus, trust me, I'm a, I'm a person who's always had a bad temper. That is the programming of this persona. But I've had to learn, like, they're not in control. Accidents happen. That was what was supposed to happen. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. I've taken that expression a step further, and I've said, whatever will be has been. It also affords you grace for people because that's just who they are. Maybe they'll change one day, but for now, that's just who they are. And that's okay. You're not the writer, you're not the director. You sitting and saying, well, I would have done something different. Okay, but you're a cog in the wheel. You're an extra on the story. You might be the main character in your story, that's fine, but you didn't write it. You're co-creating with something else that you cannot perceive in this realm, in this reality. I promise you this is not as easy for me as it might seem, but this is the purpose, you know, of these recordings is so I, so also I can come back and revisit it and for the reminder. So you guys are basically peeping into my brain and my mind and like I'm recording my thoughts in physical form. And then you guys are just happening to be able to share it. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, what will be? has been. If you're going to gossip, get caught up in the gossip. Osho said this. If you're going to be, go if you're going to gossip, get caught up in gossip, get the gossip out. But then when you realize the futility of it, then you can move on to something else. You know, if you have an issue and you're like, oh, I need to be, I need to stop doing this. Fine. Focus on it. But at a certain point, you're going to reach a point where that you're going to go, okay, that's enough. And you don't know when that point is. There's some people over time who get better, right? Who are actively working on strengthening their will. And then they can say, the time for me to stop this thing is today. But that's not a free will. That is a will that you earned. That is not a free will. That is an earned will. I'll say it a third time because it's important. Free will is like a free meal. There are no free meals and there's no free will. 
You have to earn it. And you do that. You earn your will through consciously going against your own programming of your avatar. When you find yourself in a situation where you're doing things that you would typically do, stop, disconnect, react in a different way, respond in a different way, afford people grace. It's not easy. You guys have listened to me in my journey and there's not there's things that I've written out that I've not posted, right? It's not easy, but it's not impossible. When you learn to control your mind and your own self, the universe itself still kind of goes in this clockwork, but at least you can be a character that's awake in a game. And then you know that you're awake and obey in the game and you start to move within it as opposed to having it move you. That is true freedom that you have earned. It's in, it takes intentional and conscious practice. It's like a muscle. You've got to earn that. Will itself is a muscle that you have to learn to exert. I'll leave you with one more quote. This is by Sam Harris. He says, the only freedom a puppet has is that they learn to love their string. And that quote was inspired by the writings of, I believe it was Albert Camus, had to look it up, and the myth of Sisyphus. And so at the end of that story, it says the struggle itself is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. So the story of Sisyphus was, uh, I believe Sisyphus was a Titan who was cursed to roll a boulder up the hill only to have it like fall, you know, fall down on him again. And it, it was considered a punishment. But the idea that Camus wrote out was, okay, if that's something that you are, extremely paraphrasing by the way, but if that's something that you are determined to do, that is something that you are cursed with. Is it really a curse if you go, okay, like this is it. This is what I have to do. <laughs> and that's fine. I am happy doing it. This is what I'm doing. I will accept my fate, All right. So those are the parallels. And that's what Harris was kind of more or less like, re like rephrasing, reimagining for the 21st century is, you know, you learn, okay, these are my strings, right? You could, you can go, I have no strings on me, but you're still a puppet, right? Or you can just go, okay, this is, this, these are my strings. I am being controlled. I would like to present to you a third option where you're not necessarily a puppet and you're not cursed to push a boulder up a hill. There's a reason why I recommend the Dark Oracle's Guide to the Multiverse because the narrative that I'm pushing there is that our entire reality, our entire civilization is actually a computer simulation, but it is set up for entertainment. And what I've called this world over and over again is an awareness training simulation because you gotta simulate something, right? So what sort of entity would create a world where everything dies? Well, I would argue that it would be a being or beings that cannot die. And then what sort of entity would create a world where there's constant pushback? And I would argue that it would be a being who could have everything without any pushback. So you simulate struggle and that within itself becomes a kind of entertainment, a kind of enjoyment, right? You just go, okay. The amount of things that happen, you just learn to go, okay, that's what we're doing now. Okay, that's the, okay, so I'm trying to get there though, <laughs> right? There, there, it's just, you, you guys look at my mic. I, I, I've been trying to get, I've been having mic issues. You guys have been watching this shit in real time. I got a new mic. I'm pretty sure I have this set up all wrong and I don't know if I give a shit. At the end of the day, it works. I'm actually hoping it works. There's a part of me that's saying, you're gonna record this and then you're gonna hit play and the thing has been muting this whole time. And you know what I'm gonna say to that? I guess it wasn't meant to be. I hope it plays, but if it doesn't, then you guys were never meant to hear this message because I'm definitely not gonna redo this whole thing again. I'm gonna <laughs> shut off. I'm gonna shut it off, shut off my computer and go finish my story and keep it moving. And maybe I'll revisit it, but it certainly will not be told in this way that I told it. And I'm not gonna get upset 
That was the programming. That was the script. That was what was going to happen. My pushback is that if this is some sort of drama simulation that's also meant to incite awareness, it's meant to incite awareness. It's meant to incite consciousness. Like in Westworld, right? This is a different kind of lean to it, but they said, um, Anthony Hopkins' character said that the characters were made to suffer to make them sentient. Now I'm taking the reverse approach that we are already sentient and powerful and highly conscious beings, but we came here and made ourselves unconscious and then to see if we can awaken in a world that is really set up to keep you asleep. And that's the simulation and that's the game. It's funny because Philip K. Dick wrote about this as well in one of his books. I can't remember the name right now and I don't feel like looking it up, but <laughs> maybe I'll talk about it in a different episode, but that's kind of my third option. It's not accepting that you are a puppet, but accepting that you are a consciousness, a highly evolved consciousness, by the way, that's existing within a sort of pre-programmed form, a pre-programmed avatar. You're playing a game and the purpose of the game is to wake up within the game and awareness training software program. And then once you kind of become, you learn to control your avatar, like you really learn to control your avatar because to use a Pinocchio, you know, character, but look at it differently than Sam Harris did. At the end, he becomes a real boy. He loses his strings and becomes more or less autonomous. But the but for us, the difference here isn't about bodily autonomy, right? Because that's what people say, what they do when, when you say you don't really have free will, it's not freely given, right? They go, well, I can do this, so I can move my arm. You're not a puppet, I didn't say you were a puppet. I said that you don't have free will. Will and autonomy are two different things. Bodily autonomy is the ability to do this. I'm not saying you can't move your arms and go like this. Although I am saying you can't stop your heart as well at will. <laughs> and you can't like stare without blinking. You can't go without sleeping. So even autonomy is limited in this reality. That argument is moot, but people always refer back to that, which is not the right argument. Um, but at the end, the puppet becomes you know, autonomous and be, develops his freedom to move his body. That's not free will. The two get conflated. That's not free will. And I'm saying for us, we already have autonomy, but the way we become real sentient conscious beings is that we become, we learn to have within, you know, you can't control all of there, but within your own body, you can definitely control and be aware of your, your own body. And so you see this story occur in Hinduism, right? And how they they talk about training the monkey mind. They talk about controlling your horse, right? And that's what you are. You're not the horse. You are the master that's supposed to control the horse and lead it here and there. That is the purpose. Can a God come down and exist as a mortal? and then wake up. That's the first level to realize, oh shit, wait, this isn't what I what it seems like. This is a kind of a simulation or a dream. And then I'm in this being, this thing, you know, is, you know, doing this, that, and the other. Can I start to train it? Can I start to reining in? And then what does that look like going forward? Does that make sense? All right, well. That was a good one. That was a doozy. I'm about to finish this and then see if it actually recorded or if you guys will never see this video and it wasn't meant to be. Thanks for listening.